And we welcome you to the Wednesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. I am really pleased to be able to connect today on the program with Amy Gryle, who is Executive Director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. And for anybody who has lived in southeastern Wisconsin for any length of time, you surely know something about the impact that the Kenosha Community Foundation has had on the community and uh, on the region and how it has really helped people create a sense of legacy once they are mm -hmm. gone, uh, leaving behind financial legacy that can play out in all kinds of productive and constructive ways in the outer community. And Amy Gryle is executive director, is well acquainted with uh, the community foundation and how it works and the whole notion of how such foundations work to kind of perpetuate the legacy of, of people. And so we're going to be talking about all of that today uh, with Amy Gryle. We welcome you to the morning show. Glad that you're here. Thanks, Greg. Uh, before we talk about your specific work with the Kenosha Community Foundation, tell us a little bit about where you come from originally. Is this your original community and what kinds of things have you done before coming to the Community Foundation? Thank you. Yeah, great. Um, great question, because I get that a lot. Are you born and raised in Kenosha? And uh, regretfully, I have to say no. I was raised on a dairy farm in Waterford, Wisconsin. Not oh, there's nothing to be away. regret about that. That's a great way to grow up. <laughs> uh, so we, very small farm, 30 cows. We've since sold the cows. But yeah, that was formative in the sense that you know, working as a team, as a family business, that is, uh, you're basically, your children are your workforce. <laughs> uh, great, great experience. And certainly my parents have created quite a legacy for me, uh, speaking of legacy, um, for all of our family. And that has certainly helped me appreciate the working class kind of um, I guess, ethos, if you will, in Kenosha. Um, however, after I got off the farm, I went overseas for five years, and that's where I really, I think, got my bearings as far as what what is a place, what is culture, certainly um, history, framing all of that, and it just really grew my appetite mm. for community, uh, you know, what that looks like and how rich and layered communities really are. So when I came back, uh, I began working at UW-Madison's uh, Division of Extension and working in a community development role. So mm. I got uh, that role in Kenosha County in 2013. And that was my first real, I guess, dive into Kenosha as a community. Because, of course, when you're from Waterford, Wisconsin, you don't traverse that interstate, <laughs> you know, great wall. And I just really wasn't familiar with Kenosha, but I certainly have come a long way. And I am so honored and pleased to be able to now bring all of this experience to bear in philanthropy at the Kenosha Community Foundation. Fantastic. When did you begin at the Community Foundation? Yep, it's uh, October of last year. So I'm almost a year in. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a huge learning curve totally changing uh, to some extent the field of work. I was in higher ed and community-based education, but now moving into philanthropy, 
it's wonderful to see how they're complementary, surely. Mm. However, this is quite a different kind of challenge, and I love a challenge. It's like traveling because <laughs> I have so much to learn, and uh, it's just been such yeah, it's such an honor to get to know the board, who has been extremely supportive and very, very involved to some extent, getting me oriented and you know helping me understand my way around the community and the organization. So a special thanks to my board and all of our volunteers, of course, who have been so instrumental in helping me get acquainted with the role and the broader community over the last 10 months. I'm really anxious to talk with you about the board and their function. Uh, but before we do that, I think it's perhaps even more important for our listeners to have a, a really solid understanding of what the Kenosha Community Foundation does. I sketched it in only the vaguest terms, so why don't you uh, fill in the gaps with some specifics about exactly uh, what you do in a and, in a sense, how you do it. Great. So at a high level, I would say when you talk about legacy, that is the ultimate... Um, reason that we exist. It's creating legacy, helping, uh, you know, emergent philanthropists identify with that role um, and identify what their unique legacy is all about. So um, usually the way it works is that individuals reach out to us or are referred to us um, that have means and are extremely invested in the future of the Kenosha area. And, um, you know, they make a gift. And based on their interests, I mean, it really is grounded in the legacy they want to leave. Um, we can decide together what to do with that gift. If it goes towards grant making to nonprofits throughout the community, or it may be a scholarship fund that essentially support students, you know, pursuing higher education and that sort of thing. So there's two primary paths, but within even those paths of grant making and scholarship awards, there's a multitude of ways that we can set that gift up to ideally be perpetual in nature. So the beauty of a foundation and philanthropy is that we have these um, tools called endowments. Endowments allow a gift to live forever. I mean, imagine in perpetuity, um, you make a gift today, say you brought to us $50,000, we would be giving uh, 4% or 5% out to the community, whether it's a grant or a student, in perpetuity. <laughs> so it's not a gift for today. It's uh, we hold on to what we call principal and then we distribute that portion annually uh, based on the wishes of the donor. Hmm. I noticed on your website that it, it specifically says that uh, you rarely take money from the principal. So so almost always we're talking about this this notion that makes all the sense in the world of of taking money from the interest that's being accrued. And that's, of course, how this can live on in mm -hmm. perpetuity, as you were saying. So, but the verbiage on the website suggests that maybe once in a great while, in rare occurrences, you maybe do dip into the principle. Are there particular instances in which that would make sense uh, to do that? Or 
change? Sure. Uh, some of our most storied and longest, uh, I guess, longest engaged donors do opt for what we call non-endowed uh, options because they would like to see those dollars go out, I think, faster. Mm. Um, and bigger. I mean, talking about more substantial money being yes. given versus limiting it to the to the to interest. that 5%. Exactly. So um, you see that occasionally, especially if it's, say, the second generation, and they want to see that fund almost, you know, like, liquidated. I don't mm. know to what extent. But, you know, you see that where many times the adult children will say, yeah, we'd really like to see all of these resources expended uh, over the next, whatever, five, ten years. I mean, very rarely with board approval, we can, um, you know, make arrangements to give larger gifts than just the interest. Certainly, we are in the the business of endowments. That's what makes us so special. Um, but yeah, based on the donor and their situations and what their family, you know, have their role in the whole, um, you know, exchange is really important. So that's a good point to make. So when we're talking about something that is in this nature of an endowment, that is always limited to the interest. So it would be, in a sense, a different kind of gift, and it would be at the, the wishes of the donor or the donor's family that this other model might be might yep, be Yep, generally that, yep, that's generally how it works. Mm -hmm. So now let's circle back to this matter of the board of directors. So what is the role that they play with the Kenosha Community Foundation? Well, my um, experience, formative experiences working with nonprofits, I have seen uh, that it's really crucial that boards appreciate and understand and really, I think, lean into their responsibilities, not only, you know, the uh, fiduciary responsibilities that come with an organization. Um, any nonprofit really requires that legally that organization belongs to the board. Mm. And I do believe that that is how our board has come to understand their role. The staff, myself, really working in concert with the board, certainly, but we sort of carry out, we're the executive function, if you will, mm. of the wishes of the board. And so um, it's, a, it's a beautiful partnership. I've found there's great willingness among the members on our board to, you know, come into their own sense of what what the future holds, because we are in sort of a new period uh, coming in as just 10 months, um, a full-time executive director that they've never had. We, you know, we've always historically um, gone part-time just due to the like real prudent nature of mm -hmm. the board. However, I think they understand that growth is on the docket. We are, <laughs> you know, poised for that. And they have completely bought in, and we are currently doing a strategic plan as we speak. So this is the first st strategic plan the board has ever done over almost 100 years of existence. And so that's a great way for our board to use their voices and really define the priorities and the strategies that are going to get you know, us to, uh, you know, a more mature, more developed organization. And then I get to take their wishes and really figure out how we realize those. Mm. Yeah, and I meant to, uh, I meant to uh, say at the outset that the Kenosha Community Foundation was created in 1926. So you're, in a sense, trying to position yourself to celebrate that centennial mm. in a really big way with mm -hmm. sort of the ushering in of a new mm -hmm. chapter. 
Absolutely. I mean, I'm so proud to imagine that community foundations, they didn't exist much before 1926. Hmm. I think it was, you know, 19, we'll say like teens, um, where you saw the first community foundation even come online. And then to see the vision from, you know, local philanthropists here in Kenosha, Wisconsin, of all places to say, this is a model that we want to bring here. And although our early years, we weren't real active in the grant making space, um, it was really more of a, a space for the donor to, you know, uh, pursue tax advantages and, you know, really find ways of, um, you know, moving money into a perpetuity. But the reality is, you know, over the last 50 years, it's grown. Our capacity has certainly grown to become more of a player in the space of grant making and pulling those levers of change and transformation right here in the Kenosha area. Hmm. For those of you just joining us, I'm speaking today with Amy Gryle, who is the executive director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. New on the job, you were saying about a year or less? Yeah, than a year? 10 months, I'll say. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, so we're getting her uh, early on in her tenure uh, at, at the top of the Kenosha Community Foundation and talking about the foundation, its good work and the important presence that they have uh, in, in, in the community. So let's uh, take an example of of donor X who has donated or uh, given to the foundation money amount Y. And um, you take that money and among other things, then you, you invest it. So tell us a little bit about the means by which the money that you are given is invested and what kind of things uh, do you think about and what ways are you guided in terms of the specific decisions that are made about how to invest this money, how to be good stewards, stewards. of it. Yes, thank you. Stewards is the, is the operative word here. Um, we fortunately have an extreme amount of talent and expertise on our board around not only um, investment banking, but certainly accounting and that whole piece of finance. So I am inheriting, so to speak, a, a legacy on the board of great strength in money management and certainly in the investment space. So we have been able to really, I think, minimize some of the losses that we've seen over the years just with the market mm -hmm. um, decline just because of the expertise and the, the wise stewardship um, on the part of our finance committee and our board. Um, however, you know, as you talk about mechanics of, you know, donor X coming with, you know, Y um, resources, what, what it looks like essentially is we sign uh, an agreement, a fund agreement that would outline in legal terms, what is this, this gift? Is it endowed, non-endowed? Um, and, you know, how it is subject ultimately to the powers of the board. When uh, individual X brings us a gift, they have to understand that they relinquish to some extent control over that principle. Hmm. So we can take the principle and the interest and you know go to work for it, but ultimately it's in the control thereafter of our board. The fund advisor has access to the distribution generally, and we um, take control of that principle. So we can invest it in what's called 
is an investment pool. So I'm learning what that looks like because it's not as though X donor has X or Y dollars in the investment pool and we can like have a proliferation of different accounts. It's a pooled investment strategy so that we can leverage the full power of, say, $12.8 million, mm. all acting together in a single pool. Um, and then certainly, yeah, based on market growth and, you know, the fortuitous, you know, um, growth uh, that we can see five, six, you know, 7% ideally over year over year. We've had some tough times, but imagine that we can now leverage that full power of the market in an investment pool. And then um, we also have policies that uh, govern how we can invest these dollars because uh, we, you know, have to be very conservative. Certainly our board would want us to be very prudent so that we're not seeing losses unnecessarily. Um, however, we have outlined strategies of like, what is that mix of bonds mm -hmm. and stocks and how do we use the investment tools uh, to our advantage to be those stewards. So there's a lot of mechanisms at play, but ultimately, you know, the broad strokes are that we can do well by all of our donors by pooling their resources and then really, uh, you know, benefiting from the market that, um, you know, our pool is subjected to. So mm. it all works. It's a win-win. And then we have this story to tell that lasts in perpetuity. Yeah, wonderful. So you're going the, uh, I guess we call that the diversified portfolio route, Absolutely. which makes all the sense in the world. And, and uh, by pooling the gifts together, you, you're able to, in a sense, create even more potent growth from which to uh, draw funds then and, and, and make a difference. So when uh, that donor X comes to you, typically what are the kinds of things that they are thinking about and how specific do they tend to be in terms of their, their wishes? I mean, do some people come to you and just say, do with this what you think needs to be done? Or, or do they often come with very specific concerns or issues mm -hmm. uh, in, in mind? Well, as diverse as a society and a community can be, that is the same for the amount of, you know, the diversity that we see in amongst our donors. So even within the 10 months that I've been there, I've found that there's sort of, I would say, a spectrum uh, of classes of donors, if you will. Some come in uh, many times their first time engaging in philanthropy. They would like to go for what's called donor-advised funds, where they get to decide specifically to direct that distribution annually. They want to say, yep, we're going to give it to XYZ nonprofit and at this amount. And, you know, they really want to be hands-on with defining who gets the benefit of that gift. Then we could move up on the spectrum, so to speak, to uh, restricted funds or organizational funds where you can direct um, the, the distribution back to the organization, but um, it's, it's a little bit more truer to, I guess, uh, foundation and... Um, you know, it's it's just a way that we can hold it in perpetuity, and there's a lot more comfort on the part of the donor to allow our organization to kind of 
inform those choices, if you mm. will. Um, we may know a lot more about the nonprofit space than you know the donor themselves may. That comes from business or education or whatever that may be. And then on the spectrum, I would say there's there's unrestricted giving, which is really exciting because then that goes into our competitive grant making pools. So then our volunteers get to review applications from all kinds of nonprofits, and then it's none of this hand picking the same organizations that get the same distributions all the time. This is like really you get rewarded for having a great project to propose and mm. then all these volunteers weigh in and select. Then I would say the cream of the crop, <laughs> the area on the spectrum where I would love, and I certainly have seen this um, historically, but also currently, the donors that not only give unrestricted gifts, but that they allow the foundation truly as a nonprofit to use those for our general operating budgets. Oh. So not only are you giving a gift in perpetuity that can be unrestricted, but now you can create an organization and keep that organization really strong to do this work forever. Mm. So um, Howard J. Brown, uh, historically such a visionary in this community, yes. uh, you know, owns the Kenosha News and was just like a, a giant in the space of philanthropy. He is one of our donors that really gave in that space of giving for the organization itself. So we can dip into that pool if we need to hire staff or for whatever you know reason. Wow. Um, but we also have some existing donors that have allowed us those gifts. So yeah, on the spectrum, you know, I'm certainly <laughs> going to encourage people to move along and really look long, long term in their grant or their giving. However, of course, we are here to help that individual decide what is their best fit. And certainly, you know, it's not like you give once and you walk away. It, many, many times they're coming back to us to see, well, what's happening? Like, how else can I get involved? And uh, it's it's really we we look at it as a very relational sort of business model where it's not just one and done, but we really do want to check in and give you feedback on what your dollars have done as in terms of impact. And um, it's just a, it's a journey together, ideally. Mm. I like that. I think one thing you, you mentioned that I hadn't stopped to think about is that there might be somebody uh, in the community who maybe has relatively little experience with the nonprofit sector. And in particular, it, they may have, maybe have been in a situation in life where they haven't had to utilize the nonprofit sector all that much, except maybe, I don't know, going to the symphony or something, but uh, they have not themselves needed the services that many nonprofits provide. And they might not even have in their own immediate circle of friends or family uh, anybody who's has that kind of direct acquaintance. And so I could see how somebody civic-minded might really appreciate handing that off. I mean, the responsibility of making decisions about where these funds should go, specifically who or what should benefit from them. And on the other hand, if they are somebody who, like a Howard Brown, for instance, mm -hmm. who has been very active in the community and with a strong acquaintance with that sector, I could see how they might want in certain cases, at least some of their gifts, for them to have kind of a guiding hand. I really think it makes all the sense in the world for you to have this wide array of possibilities mm -hmm. to reflect the wide array of people out there who might potentially give to the foundation. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I look at it as um, certainly we steward resources, financial, but we also steward a lot of information that we're hearing certainly um, through our networks and all of the, um, you know, various meetings and stakeholders that we kind of can engage with, that we can bring that to bear. So it's not just the financial resource stewarding, but it's also crucial pieces of information about what's going on, what are some of the gaps, and who, you know, has really shown great uh, responsibility with those dollars, whereas other nonprofits may not have the capacity to really necessarily... um, you know, utilize or they're not equipped to the extent to receive a very large gift. And then, so it's stewarding the financial resources, the information that's really, really valuable and crucial um, to knowing how you want to invest those dollars locally. But then also this like lever of social capital in the sense that we can, um, you know, use the resources at hand to ideally you know, pull levers of impact in the community. And um, that's just a really cool thing where we're not committed to certain causes in the way that so many other organizations are. We can be diverse. We can be, we can change, you know, say in, you know, two years, our priority for the first, you know, two years is women's health. And then we can go into disability resources or we could go into, um, you know, public safety. I mean, there's so many different, like, as we learn our way around the community, we can help donors and our volunteers and staff like really like play a role in uh, the spaces that define who we are as mm. a as a community. So it's really exciting. When it comes to uh, dispersing the funds, to what extent is that dispersal? confined to limited to the city of Kenosha versus Kenosha County versus anybody or anything anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and does that vary a lot or, or is the way the Kenosha Community Foundation set up that there is, in a sense, a fairly strict framework? Great question. So for our grant making, the competitive grant making, the recipient organizations have to be providing programming in Kenosha County, not just the city, but anywhere in Kenosha County. To receive a grant through the Kenosha Community Foundation, that is a non-negotiable. However, the donor themselves can certainly expound on where they would like those dollars. So for donor-advised funds, if you wanted to give to a church in your hometown, central Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, whatever, you know, um, many, you know, there's an exchange there that um, certainly are not limited. We often would get distributions from the Greater Milwaukee Foundation because certain donors of ours, so that's kind of the other side of the coin where um, some of our philanthropists locally are already tied in with the Greater Milwaukee Foundation, and then they make gifts back to the foundation based on their distribution at the Greater Milwaukee Foundation. So there is this lovely kind of exchange that it's not your gifts are not limited per se to this county or this community. We can, you know, certainly impact and touch uh, anywhere in the, as far as I know, the continental U.S. or not even continental. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Any, um, it would have to be a tax exempt organization. So far as I, I'm aware, we would not be able to make that 
award that gift um, on behalf of a donor without the 501c3 tax exempt status. So I think that's the only real limitation to where we can direct distributions. Wow. I don't have a lot of experience in this whole area, but one of my kind of tangible points of experience is at Carthage, where I'm on the music faculty, that every year we distribute a certain number of endowed scholarships, music mm -hmm. scholarships. And uh, a couple of times I've been the person who kind of read those off, like, next mm. we're going to be hearing the, <laughs> the Joe Blow uh, music scholarship. And, and it's really interesting to read the, how those are put together. And in many cases, there's a literal story mm. behind that person and their connection to Carthage and so on. And then, but then, of course, it, it gets then into the matter of, and this scholarship must be given to uh, an organ major. I mean, someone who is mm -hmm. studying the organ or su <laughs> studying such and such. And, and in some cases, the verbiage is written in such a way that when we don't have an organ student, uh, it can be given to somebody else studying some other facet of music. And I only mention it to say that it's really interesting to think about how strictly something can be shaped mm -hmm. versus how broadly. Mm -hmm. And that there might be all kinds of different reasons to do it you know, one way versus the other. To what extent does the community foundation work with donors in that process of kind of deciding uh, how broadly, how vaguely, how strictly to, to shape mm -hmm. what they want their money to do? And to what extent are you really hands-on advising them and guiding them? I mean, do you try not to do too much of that? Well, I mean, in the 10 months I've been here, quite frankly, uh, the scholarship funds that have come online have been somewhat um, already defined by mm. the donors. So I, you know, I certainly support and respect their wishes fully, but um, there are fund advisors that would I think, contemplate revising that fund agreement to be a little bit more general in mm. the eligibility criteria. We have, you know, scholarships that are reserved for um, UW, well, we'll say Carthage, students, Carthage student studying biology, you know, six foot four. No, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's really, really specific and you, you get no applicants mm. because it's so particular that, sure. you know, so I have to, you know, at times mention to the fund advisors when we don't get any applications for your scholarship in a given cycle, it may not be that, you know, students are lazy or, you know, they're not, you know, utilizing free money. I mean, I've heard all of these things, but the reality is, like, could we not look back at your fund agreement and just make sure that it's still a good fit for you and this, this situation? Right. Because Relevant and viable exactly. and all of that. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, you know, that balancing act of certainly, I mean, a legacy. We really want to empower our donors to define what is that legacy that you wish to make. If it's engineering student going to UW-Madison, um, let's find those people. And we have a scholarship fund that um, is limited to three counties, the student must come from <laughs> one of three counties, and we're talking like somewhat obscure counties throughout Wisconsin and 
Kenosha County, certainly. But, you know, it's like, how am I going to find applicants in, mm. uh, what is it, Wausau, what is the county, um, Marathon County? Mm. Like, okay. So I'm reaching out to all kinds of different organizations in, you know, Marathon County to say, we have this scholarship, we really need to find some applicants, you know, so wow. <laughs> it's beautiful. And so, you're, and so you're engaged in that part of it as well. Yeah. You don't just sit there passively waiting for people to come to you. But you are reaching out because that's part of this notion of legacy is mm-hmm. you you want these opportunities to be embraced yes, by people absolutely. out there. Absolutely. I mean, certainly we prefer if the donor is helping us recruit, you know, applicants to, you know, apply for their their particular scholarship. That will never like, you know, sit, you know never, never want to, like, (laughs) dissuade them from being actively involved. But certainly, you know, some of these, you know, funds are already in their second, third generation, and the adult, you know, children at this point are pretty, you know, disconnected Mm. from it. So we have every, yeah, intention to get out there and help, you know, carry out the spirit of that fund. Mm. Let's talk for a moment about the... um competitive grant piece of it, which is so interesting, of course. And uh, for anybody who's never written a grant, I've never written a grant, but we hear kind of horror stories about how it's a really big deal. I mean, it tends to be a very involved process. It can be quite time-consuming and, uh, and, and with good reason. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to suggest otherwise. I mean, uh, we don't want it to be a carelessly kind of thrown-together process, but... Uh, just how rigorous a gauntlet are we talking about when it comes to competitive grants from the Kenosha Unit Community Foundation? And what are we sort of talking about there in terms mm-hmm. of what that looks like? Sure. Uh, good question. So I would say on a spectrum, again, we're kind of middle of the ground as far as really rigorous uh, requirements for a grant application. You know, you've seen different grant applications that basically require your firstborn (laughs) and, um, you know, very arduous. And then, you know, as you say, the time commitment to put that together and then to come away with almost, you know, nothing. I mean, that is, that is, you know, that is something we hate to see. So we're trying to find that sweet spot between certainly rigor, because we do believe grant making is a capacity building experience for the organization Mm -hmm. too. If they don't know answers to the questions on our application, they should, you know, they really should explore, you know, what is your, you know, operating budget look like? What are your um, organizational goals? How do your organizational goals and mission line up with ours? Like, is there alignment? And do you have a non-discrimination policy? Do you have, um, you know, various elements in place to be able to successfully, uh, you know, navigate and manage a grant award? So, yeah, it's a sweet spot, but certainly we're looking at everything because we want to ensure that, you know, that this is not, you know, our grants are modest, so we imagine, you know, many of our grant pools will award three to $5,000 to a given organization. It's kind of our sweet spot. So we understand that asking someone to invest 20 hours of their time for, <laughs> you know, a $1,500 grant award, it's not nothing. I mean, certainly small can be powerful. Uh, however, it is uh, out of respect for the agencies and, you know, their limited, you know, staff that, you know, 
unfortunately, it's it's just weighing those um, sort of pros and cons, if you will. Mm-hmm. I had not stopped to think about that, how just the process of pursuing a grant from, for instance, the Kenosha Community Foundation could be a really powerful, in a sense, learning experience, mm-hmm. especially if we're maybe talking about a young nonprofit. Mm-hmm. I mean, still, in a sense, getting on their feet and maybe still kind of seeking their identity. And I suppose also it could also be uh, something of a moment of reckoning for maybe a, a nonprofit that has been around for a while, but maybe is reassessing their viability or their relevance or thinking about pursuing new directions. And uh, just the process of going through that grant application could be potentially really eye-opening for a given nonprofit. Right. And, you know, I hate to have to, like, apologize to a grant maker, um, you know, oh, this is so hard. I mean, the reality is, yeah, it's um, empowering. We really look at it as a way to empower them to define a project that matters to them. And then, you know, they submit a six-month grant report, and then a year, um, at a year, what is, you know, the impact, the evaluation sort of, uh, measure um, to show that this was this was positive or not um, on the community. So, you know, a lot of organizations maybe don't know what a logic model is or how do you, you know, build out a program that is, you know, measurable and, you know, effective. So, yeah, it's all those things. It's really, I think, a, a great process for many organizations to undertake. Hmm. You said something really interesting at the outset that uh, I want to circle back to, and it was something to the effect that um, part of what you need to be doing, you and your colleagues at the Kenosha Community Foundation, is something to the effect of getting people with means to be kind of comfortable with the whole notion of being a philanthropist. Mm. And I think that that is a really interesting piece of this that's worth exploring. I think a lot of us, when we think about philanthropists, that's kind of this big, imposing, long, complicated word, and we immediately kind of think of of ancient history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people with names like Rockefeller and mm-hmm. Carnegie that are philanthropists. And, mm-hmm. and I think for probably a lot of people, they have never, even, even if they are blessed to have a fair amount of money, don't necessarily think of themselves as being a philanthropist, that they could be such a thing or should be such a mm-hmm. thing. Tell us more about that process of getting people comfortable with the notion of seeing themselves as philanthropists and, more important, being philanthropists. Sure. Absolutely. This is, I mean, really what is so captivating about the role because I'm thinking a lot about how do I appeal to not just the silk stockings, if you will, of old Kenosha um, (laughs) that may be attached to some of our legacy givers, but yeah, how do you bring about uh, an awareness among people that have never identified themselves as this, like you say, abstract word philanthropist? Um, We don't want to make it feel as though this is like, you know, got to be an elite experience. I mean, philanthropy, I don't speak Greek, but I would assume it comes (laughs) from the word love. Mm. Um, 
a love for people. And why why should that, you know, um, not be made more accessible to a broader audience, especially in a community like Kenosha that is growing so fast, changing so fast. And, and you know, as commuting patterns, you know, indicate, people are not limited to working and, you know, uh, here in Kenosha, many of them are driving into Kenosha or, or Milwaukee or Chicago and, you know, bringing home significant resources. So, you know, some of our people, even my age, you know, that I know that are, you know, extremely fortunate in, you know, their professions and how do they begin to set a foot in this space of giving back? Um, and it's not just giving back. Like, I really think that's an easy way to talk about it. A lot of people will say, yeah, I want to give back. It's about the legacy, like really philanthropy. I think what distinguishes it from, you know, uh, a donation to directly to a, you know, church or nonprofit or whatever, this is made to reflect a legacy and who you are as a person and to name it and to, you know, ideally endow it and make it available forever. So um, talking about legacy, I think, is a way that, I mean, certainly many people don't think of their legacy, certainly until they're older or have, you know, grandkids or whatever. But the reality is, like, the sooner that we can introduce that language of what is the legacy you wish to leave, um, you know, it, it's so beautiful. Like, okay, so if I can offer an analogy, um, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm and we have all this land and there's a lot of spaces of very mature oak trees. Imagine like an oak grove. I've always loved the trees. Okay. But if you know anything about apparently, you know, old growth trees of that kind, they do best, you know, incubating, so to speak. Um, new oak trees do best in the shade of a mature oak tree hmm. because their roots can essentially attach or graft onto the roots of one of the mature trees. Oh, so wow. a new, you'll often see old, you know, the large oak trees um, with like this proliferation of young oak trees in their shade. And that's because they do really well, like kind of following the paths of, um, you know, established trees. Uh, so I look at it as something like that, where it's like, None of us have come from nothing. Mm. We're not a seed that got thrown out in the middle of a field. We all came up through the roots of ideally family that loved us and cared for us, a community that loved us and cared for us. So how do you at some point realize that, okay, I'm attached to these other roots, but I myself need to allow other roots to attach to me. And I can look to the future now, um, not just latching on to what has been so, I guess, generous to me, but now how do I look to the future? And that's what philanthropy is at mm. its heart, is, is taking the resources that we have and the fortuitous circumstances that we've you know, come about in our lives and really passing it on in a way that incubates, like just beautiful oak groves, right? Mm. That's a beautiful picture. I I think that's absolutely terrific. I'm really glad you come from that dairy farm in Waterford mm. where it offers up that, that beautiful picture. We think of this often as something that people choose to do relatively late in life. Mm -hmm. um, first of all, is that most common? And do you welcome and encourage people at 
just about any stage of their adult life to be thinking about that, this, and engaging in this possibility? Or does it, frankly, make more sense to kind of do it once you've lived most of your life and are thinking about, mm -hmm. you know, this notion of legacy of once we're gone? Sure. That's a really good question. Um, so planned giving is the absolute Cadillac, so to speak, of philanthropic giving. So planned giving means that, you know, upon your, potentially upon your death, um, you're, you're passing on significant resources to us um, in the form of your will or bequest or however that looks. So planned giving is where we really like to be because you know, the gifts are significantly larger. And um, yeah, it, I think it's just the, the full, I guess, bloom mm. <laughs> of the kinds of... Um, gifts that we can receive at the foundation. On the other side, we have a starter fund option where for $600 a year, you can establish a fund. Hmm. And at the 10-year mark, we're going to start offering distributions. So I hate to say too much about the starter fund because, frankly, it's a lot of administration <laughs> for a very small uh, pool of um, available resources. But that's not to say that it's not important. I mean, to everyone listening, uh, anyone can get their, you know, their foot in the door of philanthropy and reach out to us. And I look at it as it's a growing experience. I mean, sometimes you just find out people have put something in their will that, you know, Bob Schneider talked to them about it 20 years ago and they haven't talked to us since. Those are beautiful. Mm. We'll certainly celebrate those. But more often than not, I believe it is like a sort of a process of education and engagement with the donor. And if it starts with a starter fund, let's go. Let's mm. do that. I love that idea. That kind of folds back also to our notion, the notion we were talking about earlier of getting people comfortable with this whole notion of being a philanthropist and, and never something they've maybe never once dreamt of that, you know, you have to be a, you know, I don't know, an Oprah Winfrey or a, at a local level, you have to be a Howard Brown to even uh, entertain the notion of being exactly. a philanthropist. And it's, it's, it's actually something within the grasp of more people than, than, than they might realize. Greg, if I could just jump in, and a really nice thing about reaching out to us and getting started, however that looks, is that you join a community of our donors, that mm. we have events and we offer opportunities for people to network and com connect with other like-minded individuals that are not only largely successful in their careers, but they're also extremely civically minded. Mm. And I just think to me, like, what a cool club, Absolutely. right? <laughs> so so for any of these reasons, I just think, that, I mean, the value add to get involved with us is just like, it's just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's astounding. So for anybody who is intrigued by anything that we've talked about today, what is the simplest and best means for them to uh, reach out to the Kenosha Community Foundation? <clears throat> yep. Just give us a call. Give us a call. Um, drop me an email. Uh, you know, our office is staffed with myself full-time, and then we have an assist, uh, executive assistant, Marion Bothy, at 20 hours a week. So we have, you know, a strong but mighty team, and we are certainly here to take your calls and answer your questions and coach you through this. Uh, you are not alone, and I mean, more than that, you join a formidable you know, community of givers that just, it's, it's so exciting. Mm. 
Amy Gryo, Executive Director of the Kenosha Community Foundation. It has been wonderful to talk with you, and we appreciate all the, the great work that you and your board have done on behalf of the Kenosha Community Foundation, building on the great work of those who have come before you. And uh, we're, we're certainly happy that WGTD can play a role in getting the word out about uh, this wonderful opportunity and the great good that you are doing. So thank you for being part of the morning show today. Thank you so much, Greg. I'm Gregory Berg.